0: This is Hear Me Out. I'm your host, Celeste Headley. We've just celebrated the 3rd Juneteenth since it was made a federal holiday in 2021. Adding June 19th to the roster of federal holidays was a victory for many advocates. They'd been pushing for this for a long time, and it's certainly an important day in our country's history. On June 19th, 1865, the last group of enslaved people in Texas learned about the Emancipation Proclamation. We now know that slavery did not end in practice at that time, and nor did the harm that Black Americans continue to endure today. So when we talk about reparations, a more tangible idea for righting these wrongs, is it possible that reparations is also an empty gesture? Our guest today is, like me, a direct descendant of enslaved people. And he testified before Congress in 2019 against reparations for those whose ancestors were considered subhuman. He still thinks it's a bad idea.
1: What does this actually do in terms of helping Black people move forward? Or is it merely a symptom of being deeply stuck in the past?
0: Columnist and podcast host Coleman Hughes joins us on today's episode of Hear Me Out. Stay with us.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
0: And we're back on Hear Me Out, a podcast from Slate. I'm Celeste Headley. Juneteenth is a pretty new addition to the federal holiday canon. We've only been celebrating it since 2021, in case you have lost track. Like so much of our nation's relationship with its own history, the road to making Juneteenth a national holiday was pretty rocky. Even now, depending on what state you live in, June 19th may not be recognized by the state. In California, for example, state employees can elect to take Juneteenth off, but in states like Arizona, Florida, and Montana, the state government does not observe that date at all. There are those out there that take issue with the premise as well, because even though June 19th, 1865 was the day the last enslaved people in this country learned of the Emancipation Proclamation, slavery did not end in practice at that point. And making Juneteenth a national holiday in 2021 didn't do a lot to end police brutality against Black Americans, for example. Legislators had started floating the holiday the year prior in the wake of the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. So in light of this year's Juneteenth, we want to discuss a controversial proposal for tangibly righting the wrongs of racism, reparations. In New York, Illinois, and California, the possibility of paying damages to the descendants of enslaved people seems more likely than ever before. On the federal level, reparations have been proposed by Democrats every year since 1989, and this year's bill, introduced by Representative Cory Bush of Missouri, seems to be gaining traction. These proposals are, not surprisingly, pretty expensive. But maybe it's the sacrifice we need to make as a country in order to have a better future for all Americans. Well, our guest today says... No. Um, There are, in fact, more pressing issues at hand, he says, that could make a bigger difference for African-Americans. Our guest is Coleman Hughes, columnist and host of the podcast, Conversations with Coleman. Coleman, welcome. Good to be here. So let's start with your premise. And I found it interesting that when you testified before Congress, you began with a pretty impassioned statement saying that you were in no way, nothing that you said, was meant to downplay the horrors of slavery.
1: Racism is a bloody stain on this country's history, and I consider our failure to pay reparations directly to freed slaves after the Civil War to be one of the greatest injustices ever perpetrated by the U.S. government. But I worry that our desire to fix the past compromises our ability to fix the present.
0: Why begin there?
1: I begin there because an argument against reparations could easily be misconstrued as an argument that you don't care about slavery or you don't think slavery was that bad. And I wanted to close the door to that interpretation of my view right at the start.
0: But you yourself are a descendant of enslaved people, right? Yes. Do you know where your ancestors were enslaved?
1: I actually do. Um, Because, so my name is Coleman Hughes and my grandfather, Warren Hughes, happens to know that this line of the family is descended from Thomas Jefferson's Monticello plantation. And because Jefferson happened to be Jefferson, not only were good records kept of who his slaves were, but uh, there's been great historical interest in who is a legitimate descendant or, or not of his slaves. And so, um, unlike most Black Americans, I have very good documentation going back to Wormley Hughes, who was Jefferson's gardener. And uh, in fact, there's a, there's one of the few recordings of slaves that was ever made. Someone born a slave and lived long enough to be uh, recorded audio is a man named Fountain Hughes, who is uh, in the same family though not I guess a direct descendant of me is like a cousin of one of my ancestors.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Um, so give me the sort of the the summary of your your argument. You're not saying that enslaved people, especially at the end of the Civil War, shouldn't have been offered, um, some, court of, some kind of recompense, land or money, right? That, that's not your argument.
1: Exactly. My my argument is precisely they should have been given reparations in their lifetimes um, in the second half of the 20th century. Uh, but once you miss the opportunity to give the actual victim reparations the reparations claim does not survive forever. And it certainly doesn't survive down to their great, 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 great grandchild, which I think is the correct number of greats in my case. Uh, And I think that's, you know, people often say, well, how come black people didn't get reparations? How come black people don't get reparations? The Jews got reparations after the Holocaust. The Japanese Americans got reparations for being interned in world war ii well i think that to me that's not hypocrisy or a double standard standing from today's vantage point because uh, they got reparations immediately almost immediately after uh the the atrocities in question and they were actually paid to the people or their their families. Um, and, and so the truth is, the great majority, almost all historical crimes uh, against people, uh, you know, races, ethnicities throughout the past, say, 300 years, no reparations have been paid for them and no reparations are ever going to be paid. And the claims have timed out. So I think uh, my position in Congress and my position today is the same, which is, I actually support reparations paid to living victims of the Jim Crow system in the South or of segregation in general. And this is happening in Evanston outside of of Chicago, where they're trying to identify specific individuals that were denied loans on houses because they were Black in the late 60s and paying them specifically. Uh, or at most, their immediate family members. Uh, That I support. That's a kind of reparations I support and is in line with my principles. What I don't support is reparations paid to descendants of slaves for slavery, which ended in 1865.
0: See, this is my favorite kind of conversation because I I so disagree with you, Um, but I also find um, a, a, a lot of your argument really smart and and reasonable and compelling. Um, But here's the thing. If, I I wonder if the comparison would hold up if they had promised um, Jews after the Holocaust reparations and then refused to hand them over, (laughs) which is what happened with African Americans, that they were promised land, they were promised help, and then states and the federal government partly because Abraham Lincoln was killed, simply didn't do it. There's that. But then there's also the fact that it wasn't just the Civil War that caused the trauma. If you go back through history, I mean, just in my own family history, um, there is story after story after story of um, people in my family earning land and having it being stolen, sometimes through illegal means, sometimes through... Uh, means that were legal but not at all ethical. Um, they there are times when many times when our family has paid much more for insurance for homes for things because of redlining, and that happened recently, right? Like, where do you draw the line of when the harm was was done to say that um, it should have happened? We they should have been paid right when the damage occurred.
1: So I to the to. To the first point, no, I I don't think if the government made a promise in 1865 that was unfulfilled, that they therefore are on the hook for that promise. I mean, the, the people they promised that to are all dead, and they have been dead for a long time. That's extremely sad. It's extremely tragic. It was a miscarriage of justice at the time. I do not think that that means... Uh, the promise, what was promised to those people, should be given to their sixth great's grandchild. Uh, and I think, frankly, I think that intuition is is widely shared. Right, M- most of us literally don't know the names of our great 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 um, grand uh, gr- gr- grandparents. To collect something owed to them is not something anyone, any typical or rational person would expect, for the most part um and secondly like i said i actually support reparations paid to people in in their lifetimes for harms that they or their immediate family members ha- have incurred and it, at that level you might not even call it reparations you may just call it damages right like if if laws are broken if discrimination laws on the books are broken to your detriment you can sue the state and i i completely support that so if that's happened in your family that's uh quite a separate conversation, I think.
0: Okay. So, I mean, we're going to kind of dig a little deeply into all the different nooks and crannies of what systemic racism has cost African Americans. Um, But just before we go to a break, what about the issue of Simply not being able to move on. The fact that even in political speeches, you'll hear African Americans talk about the 40 acres and a mule that was promised to them. You know, there is really good records of land that was, um, that had been taken from plantation owners in the South and given to African Americans after the Civil War ended, and they farmed it for a while and were doing fine. And it, then it was then taken after, um, after the federal government basically left the south and and allowed the south to to govern themselves again um so what about this idea that reparations might help us close the book at least close the book on that era and and focus our attention on on our current situation
1: i think that that's naive i think if that were true if it were true that reparations was going to help people move on then It would seem to me that all of the national and state-level apologies, official apologies that have been made, would have helped some people move on. In fact, they have had no impact whatsoever. Both houses of Congress officially apologized for slavery in 2008 and 2009. In 2004, the Senate officially apologized for the lynching of African Americans At least eight different states, uh, and slavery was, as you know, a state's issue, uh, have individually apologized for slavery. I have seen almost no one bring up those facts other than me in this conversation. Uh, um, And not only that, I've seen that make no dent at all, even though those were longtime requests from the community, the same community of people that want reparations. For years, people said, please, can we have an apology? Can we have national-level apology, state-level apology? The apologies come, and it makes no dent at all in in the wound. And so what does that tell me? What that tells me is the wound of slavery, insofar as it is sincerely felt by people, it's not going to be healed by anything external.
0: There's so much to talk about here. Uh, We're talking with uh, Coleman Hughes, and we're talking about whether or not reparations um, should be paid to descendants of uh, enslaved people. We are going to continue this conversation for sure. You are listening to Hear Me Out, a podcast from Slate, and we'll be right back.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Shopify.
0: This is Hear Me Out, a podcast from Slate. I'm Celeste Headley and with me is Coleman Hughes, um, a columnist, host of the podcast Conversations with Coleman. And his argument today is that we need to stop pursuing reparations for descendants of slavery. Um, Now, before we move on, Coleman, I want to be clear um, because people are going to make assumptions based on the argument you're making. They're going to make assumptions about you and they're going to make assumptions about your politics this is not you saying um that systemic racism doesn't exist or that uh african americans don't need to see reforms in the system that african americans aren't at a disadvantage in uh, our sort of our racist systems that's not what you're saying
1: i have a lot of problems with the lack of precision in some of those concepts you're talking about but generally, no, I'm not saying racism doesn't exist. Racism exists. And I'm, I'm happy to have a conversation about it.
0: Okay, so then let's get precise about what it is that you mean. And, and partly because it, it's difficult for me to think, look, reparations won't help anybody because the damage happened so long ago. That's hard for me to really accept because the damage is still happening.
1: So hold on, what do you mean by reparations? Do you mean a check or do you mean a package of specific policies? Because people have very different pictures.
0: Um, when I say reparations, I would I, I think it should be both, frankly, um, depending on on the individual. But I I, I think that the most impactful thing would be to get some actual anti-racist policies in place that dealt with um, inequities in the healthcare system, inequities in the education system, the economic system, in wages and small business loans, um, definitely in criminal justice and law enforcement. That would be the most impactful thing. That's extremely complicated. Um, Would I love it? Yes. Um, Is it possible? I've been a journalist for too long to say yes to that. I think that aiming for some of that and then also sending people a check to acknowledge the depth of the harm they have suffered and the fact that they have not been able to enjoy the inheritance from their ancestors that they should have, um, for example, the people whose businesses were burned out um, in Oklahoma during that massacre, the people whose, um, again and again and again, that we have um, the Eugene Race Massacre, the homes and the businesses that were were destroyed in Detroit when they decided to build a, build a freeway right through um, the African-American part of town. Again and again and again, you see people who are not being able to to build up generational wealth because they were either murdered, it was stolen, their land was taken, destroyed, whatever it may be. So yeah, some kind of recompense for the, the generational inheritance they lost out on, I think is perfectly okay. But a combination of the two would be ideal. So, you know, going back to your question, what do I think reparations is? I don't know for sure. I think the conversation should be had. But I also think it should happen.
1: Okay, so... Those whatever anti-racist policies you think are good for the country and good for Black people, why do you call those reparations? Are are is is the implication that they would not be implemented but for slavery, or is the implication that they would only go to Black American descendants of slaveries as opposed to Black immigrants? Why not just why not why not just support those policies without labeling them reparations?
0: I don't think you have to label them reparations, but because it's combined with um, some kind of uh, repair, monetary repair for the damage that's been done. Um, you know, I go back, to, I, I've, I've spent a long time looking at the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that occurred in South Africa. Obviously, that didn't solve all their problems there. But I, I when I think about recreation, reparations, I think about restorative justice. And whatever reparations look like, to me, they have to have some element of restoration in them.
1: Okay. Again, the disanalogy there is that what happened in South Afri- South Africa happened between the actual individuals that experienced apartheid and the actual individuals that perpetrated it. Slave owners are dead, and and the slaves are dead. You know, like th- this is a we. You know, we alive today could play act. Some truth and reconciliation style, you know, interaction, but it's not genuine. We the boat was missed. It's a tragedy. That doesn't mean that we ought to uh, pretend that we are, you know, um able to to repair that today. I think we have to get on with the project of making life as good as possible for people today based on the problems that exist today, not based on the problems uh, that weren't solved 150 years ago.
0: So you say making life as good as possible for people? You, you're you saying we need to focus on making everything equitable and fair for everyone, not specifically focusing on uh, discriminatory practices against African-Americans.
1: Um, I would say, I mean, my, my general concern is yeah i'm concerned about racism i'm also concerned about poverty in general for for the poor of all races uh and i i believe whatever policy you consider to be wise that affects whether it's black people or or poor people that affects people in a positive way today well we could you know we could implement that policy without calling reparations right because it's not reparations and it it doesn't actually depend on whether your ancestors were slaves in this country presumably whereas reparations would very much you know it would not go to black immigrants and the descendants of recent black immigrants for example um and, and so what you're talking about seems to me not only does it not need to be called reparations uh it actually suffers from being called reparations. It's it's a category error, and it's a political error. And I don't I don't see actually the 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 reason why one would want to attach a false what is actually a false label substantively to a policy, which also makes it even more difficult to push through Congress.
0: Okay, but. They are st- I mean, they are still in the process of identifying artworks, for example, valuable objects that were stolen from Jewish families um, during the era of Nazi Germany and returning those objects to the descendants of the families who owned them at the time decades and decades later. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're coming up on nearly 100 years. Yeah, there you know, um, there are
1: still people alive. There are Holocaust survivors still alive. It's still quite...
0: But that's not who they're always returning the artworks to. The
1: they're children often returning or, or these artworks
0: to the children and or grandchildren. Okay. Are you saying we shouldn't do that? Once By the time you get to the grandchildren, it's been too long. Just call it paid and let whoever stole that artwork, let their descendants keep it.
1: Yeah, you know, if you can identify the grandchildren, I would agree. Yeah, might as well give it to them. But I don't think it's, I'm not sure it's like due to the grandchildren necessarily. Like if it's easily, if it's easy to identify, it's certainly not the great grandchildren. This is the thing, it is a genuine gray area. I concede, I think reasonable people can agree, can disagree about where the line is about where you are actually owed as opposed to where it's it's just been too long i think reasonable people can totally disagree about where that line is my line has tended to be like you give it to the person their immediate family meaning their children and um and beyond that but maybe someone thinks maybe you think great grandchildren but certainly you would agree that there is some some point after which it it no longer makes sense to say that you own what your great, 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 great grand, uh, um, a grandparents owned, right? No, you think there's no line whatsoever.
0: Absolutely. I think if you can, if somebody steals something from you, then their great, great, great grandchildren shouldn't get to enjoy that object. The, it, Needs to go back to the place where it was wow. stolen. It's I mean, still but, a but crime. But do you understand
1: how this would absolutely derange society if you and I had to settle the scores of our great, 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 great grand grandfathers? You know, you know how many how many crimes were committed in in, in these eras, and how many injustices there were that now you and I are on the hook for, even though we don't know the names of the people that were allegedly bringing justice. I mean, there's no way society could function if we had no statute of limitations on on historical crimes of this nature.
0: So there are plenty of statutes of limitations. For example, um, murder. We can figure out who, we can still solve crimes even if the the murderer is dead but that doesn't mean that that murderer's descendants go to prison it simply means we establish who the perpetrator was but if over the course of that murder that murderer stole something jewelry or or whatever from his victim mm-hmm. that those objects should be returned to the family of the victim even though the cri- the, the larger crime the, the itself the immediate murder, family
1: the immediate family
0: no whomever it would have gone to because we have to assume
1: that we have to assume that okay. If, it, if, if it's great, your great 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 grandchildren there are already so many branches likely of the family that who would it even go to
0: I mean that's, that's exactly what judges do that's how they determine that
1: but hold on they're only able to come to halfway rational decisions because the holocaust occurred in the 1940s if the holocaust happened in the 1840s there would be such a proliferation of the family that it would be impossible to even make a judgment call.
0: Um, I I don't think that's a fair comparison because sure in it is this because case... do just
1: do do the math. If I have two kids that have two kids that have two kids, and every generation out, you just get a sprawling network of people that are all my descendants, and none of them even know each other. Probably at this point.
0: So this is difficult, Coleman, because neither you, you or I are are experts in this process of returning stolen items. Um, and and that kind of also leads into the argument of the countries that are asking, say, for example, the British Museum to return the artifacts they stole during the years of colonialism. Um, it sounds to me like if you were to transfer that over, you would say, let the British Museum keep it, which I No, I, I think not. it's a
1: disanalogy. I think it's a disanalogy because now you're talking about state entities. State entities, uh, I think... As as a gesture can give things back that were stolen from the states a very long time ago because we're not talking about a state entity is already an abstraction it's not a a interpersonal exchange right I don't think that I don't think the analogy holds if that makes sense
0: it doesn't really make sense to me we're going to take a break but and and I will explain why it doesn't make sense in a moment. But I couldn't be enjoying the conversation more, and I'm glad we're talking about it. I'm speaking with Coleman Hughes. We're talking about whether or not uh, reparations would be a positive move for um, African-Americans and for the rest of the country in the United States. And we will be back to talk more about this. This is Hear Me Out, a podcast from Slate. I'm Celeste Headley. Stay with us. Welcome back. I'm Celeste Headley. This is Hear Me Out a podcast from Slate. And we are digging into a topic that causes arguments even within Black families at Thanksgiving dinner. It is reparations and whether or not reparations should still be paid. And I am joined by Coleman Hughes, who is a writer, a columnist, host of a podcast called Conversations with Coleman. And Coleman thinks it's been too long and we should let reparations go. You were saying that there's a difference between Items that should be given back by, say, the British Museum to the country from which they were stolen, um, as opposed to individuals giving them back. You said that, asked me if I thought there was a difference. And I said no. And the reason I say that is because when we're talking about reparations, we're not actually talking about individuals. We're talking about, like, an abstraction like California giving reparations to individuals in the end, but really to taxpayers, to a group, an abstracted group, which is basically descendants of slaves. Um, Why, tell me a little bit more about why you think that's different, especially since many of the things stolen during the colonial era were stolen from private individuals.
1: My understanding of reparations in the case of the Holocaust and Japanese Americans is that it went to specifically the individuals that were, or their immediate families that were harmed not merely, um, although although Germany did pay reparations to Israel, um, in yeah. addition to that, um, which was quite controversial in Israel and had a lot of opponents. but nevertheless, the basic idea is to is that you as a human being experienced a harm, an evil harm perpetrated by a state and we are going to give you not just any member of your tribe, but you, money as a as a as a gesture and form of recompense, right? Right. That's to me the basic idea of reparations. Stealing artifacts and then later giving them back is is quite a different thing. It's actually not reparations. It's just giving literally giving the thing back that you stole. Reparations would be if I stole something and destroyed it, And now I'm going to pay you money that is somehow equivalent to it. And that that something more like that, I think it's quite a different case, not only because they're actually just giving back the artifacts, but also because it's a, it is an exchange between two abstract state entities where like no individuals in those states were necessarily harmed to begin with. It was like the state was harmed. It, they just seem very cases, very different cases for for very uh, for several reasons. And by the way, I, I don't I don't I don't know if they have like an obligation to to give these things back. I just think it would be a ni- it would be a nice thing to do. You know, I don't know if every I don't know if every state has an obligation to give back what was taken in. Um, you know, in all of the various wars of conquest over over the past, you know, thousands of years?
0: So when we talk about um, slavery in the United States, it's really common for people to forget that it lasted for 250 years. Um, And when we talk about Jim Crow, it's really easy for people to forget that that lasted from, say, circa 1890 until the 1960s. So another... 70 years give or take. So when we talk about the period of time when African-Americans were enslaved either literally or in all but, we're talking about a period of three centuries. Um, and that makes the, the, the time between the 1960s and now seem pretty recent and short Why? Because we're not. I mean, when you talk about the fact how long it's been since um, the Civil War ended, that's not really. uh, That's not what I think of as what the poor purpose of reparations. Because reparations needs to address all those years of Jim Crow as as well. And Jim Crow. I've already said. I've already said.
1: I, I support reparations for living victims of Jim Crow or their immediate family members a lot of people do support reparations for slavery right so i make a distinction yeah, but, between um, those let me two. just Many go
0: to don't. this issue of reparations just for um those who lived through jim crow mm-hmm. um because it, it, do you not think that they should have given reparations let's say that uh, somebody died who had been interred in during the Japanese internment, and they died before reparations were paid, you don't think their children should have gotten mm-hmm. their reparations?
1: I think if they had a wife or husband, that's the person that should have probably got first and children okay. second. So yeah. ch-
0: if there is no surviving person who lived through it, their children should have gotten it. Why is that not the case for Jim yes. Crow? Uh,
1: no, it could be the case. Absolutely. could be the case. So that's why I say to, to them or their immediate family. Children would be immediate family in my in my
0: Okay. Mind. So grandchildren is where you draw the line.
1: Yeah, I think that's like I said, I'm not gonna claim to have the only valid line, but I am going to insist that there is a line. And I think we all know that there is a line, and we can haggle over where it is in any particular case but i actually don't believe i almost don't believe someone that says there is no line because i i you know there's so many historical crimes it, it just you know in any given century of, of in the recent past that no one is talking about trying to rectify the crimes of because they're so distant and we don't even remember the names of our ancestors that were in them and we have to get on with the business of living with each other and we can barely even settle and get justice for crimes committed yesterday, much less settle the the crimes committed long before any of us were born. So, I, like I said, we may disagree on a line, and I'm I may even be persuadable on on lines, but that there is a line and that there is a statute of limitations, I think, is is beyond common sense.
0: Okay. So I mean it sounds like you would be open to reparations being paid to the children of those who lived through Jim Crow. And since Jim Crow ended in the I mean, I don't think the last Jim Crow law fell until the nineteen seventies.
1: Only if only if the parents are not alive. Yes. Okay. Yeah. As a as a second best, as a second best. So because my grandparents are alive, I don't think my father necessarily should get anything.
0: When was your father born?
1: Uh sixty-four but not in the South.
0: But they, I mean, he still lived during the era of Jim Crow.
1: Yeah, but Jim Crow was a state's issue.
0: I mean, I think you're going to find sociologists and historians um, that would disagree with the fact that Jim Crow was was uh, relegated to the South, but um, I'll, I'm going to move away from that. Since we're, we're coming to the end of our conversation, I want to talk about, I, I've seen you... I've, I've seen in other interviews where you said that you feel this argument over reparations is is a distraction and I, and I wanted to make sure we touched on that before we ended our conversation Why do you think this um is is preventing it can possibly prevent us from addressing more pressing issues related to injustice and inequity?
1: I think there is a difference between, uh, learning about the past having a deep respect for the past and obsessing with the distant past and I know that there are there is a line of thinking out there uh for instance in the 1619 project there's a which uh maybe I don't have to introduce to this audience necessarily but If I do, it was, you know, the New York Times huge project they released in 2019, headed by Nicole Hannah-Jones, series of essays and poems and so forth, uh, designed to center slavery in the narrative of American history, and symbolically think of the country as having started in 1619, when the first, I I guess, really indentured servants at that time were brought over uh, from Africa, um, rather than in 1776. Uh, there is a line of thinking which has become so obsessed with uh, a, a, um, a kind of grievance archaeology, I would call it, um, locating the source of all modern ills in the ills of the past. So I'll give you one example from the 1619 Project. There was an essay by Matthew Desmond, who I believe is a Princeton sociologist, where he talks about how the legacy of slavery includes the rows and columns in an Excel spreadsheet because slave masters used similar rows and columns to count the profits uh, and do slavery accounting, basically. And I read this, I think to myself, how is it useful for me to to look at an Excel spreadsheet and think of slavery? Because slave masters also happen to use rows and columns when accounting for the profits of the slave trade or or, or of slave labor. Is this really a useful line of thinking? What does this actually do in terms of helping Black people move forward? Or does it is it merely a symptom of being deeply stuck in the past? I think that we all know people in our lives that have been unable to move past certain traumatic events who remain stuck. And we know other people who experience those same traumas and somehow process them, process them and move forward in a healthy way. So I would like for Black America to be more in that second category than in that first category. That's what I mean.
0: Yeah, I read that thing from Matthew Desmond very differently. And it, to me, it sounded like he was just explaining how deep was the influence of the slavery system in and the yet plantation even that system. Point but,
1: makes, well, am, I, am I really to believe the concept of rows and columns is unique to slavery
0: uh, as opposed to
1: accounting in general?
0: Well, I mean neither it's you absurd. are neither you nor I are sociologists or historians. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to not make that argument unless I I have done the research to know the the answer to that. Um, but I will before we go let me come just on. ask you. It doesn't you
1: know, require an expert to know. It does know
0: actually. It really rows, does, Coleman. Come the, on.
1: The mere use you can't... the mere use of rows and columns.
0: Yeah, it does. The mere does. use
1: of rows, of rows and columns, one of the most rudimentary accounting tools ever has nothing intrinsic to do with um, slavery, much less American slavery.
0: Yeah, I I can't answer that. I don't know. Just in the same way that zero, which is now ubiquitous, had to be invented at some point. Everything had to be invented. But I think you'll find a lot of people will have strong opinions about this conversation. And and some of them, as you say, are going to strongly agree with you. And I think that's fair. And I also think this debate is healthy. And it's okay to walk through all of these topics without you know, getting ticked off at each other. So um, I really appreciate your coming on and talking about it.
1: I agree very much. I really appreciate you having me on.
0: Okay, so that conversation was a lot, and it was a lot for me. I mean, I find myself saying that at the end of almost every conversation we have on this show, but that one in particular, you know, the idea of closure, in and of itself is fraught for me. I'm not sure that closure exists, that there's such a thing as finally satisfying every need one might have after trauma occurs so that one can move on with a fresh light. I don't think that is a real thing. And for some people, that's the point of reparations. For me, that is not the point of reparations. The point of reparations is that something was stolen and It's unethical to let even the descendants of the thief keep it. But I got to say, I mean, I hear Coleman's argument and I do agree that it is complicated and it's difficult and it has been a long time. You know, it's it's a tough conversation and I have a lot of thoughts. I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts and we really want to hear what you think about all this. You can email us. It's at slate.com. Lots of you have been emailing already. So last week, we had Damon Young on the show, and he made the case for racism light. He had the idea that tribalism and community that comes from preferring to socialize with your own race can be a positive thing in limited cases. We got A lot of letters from you about that. And we want to share one from a listener named Javier. He wrote, as a Mexican, I appreciate a spicy take and have to go to my other POC communities because white people benefit from there being no discussion. So the episode reminded me, as a foreigner, I found myself forming strong bonds with black people, married a black person, got invited to the cookouts. There's a sort of free from whiteness solidarity that's formed among POC groups. Ultimately, your guest had his hands tied by the fact that white people redefined woke. It used to be that word of mouth, that inside scoop, that truth that might be racist but will also keep you safe. We would call it mania, which window to go to at the DMV, which road is heavily policed, which stores will follow you while shopping. All this to say, having an alternative non-white culture is valuable to all of us, and having the stolen in favor of integration is a crime like stealing woke. And I got to say, Javier, you have put that perfectly. Um, And I I think in a a couple places here, you articulated this even more confidently than than Damon did. So thanks for writing in. We talk about a lot of really challenging opinions on the show. And we are sure that you have your own takes. We love hearing them. So please email us. It's hearmeout at slate.com. Hear Me Out is a podcast from Slate. The show is produced by Maura Curry. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations, and Alicia Montgomery is VP of Slate Audio. I'm your host, Celeste Headley, so until next time, speak your mind, but keep it open.